Speaking of Cali, we're here with Mr. Cali himself. Uh, that was a little Millie's intro there. A little shout out to a Cambridge boy getting after it. We have we have a very good intro right here. I'm not going to ruin it. I'm getting right to it. This episode is near and dear to my heart. Um, 726 games played, 395 goals, 299 assists, 694 points, 1,241 PIMS, four-time All-Star, number eight retired in Boston, 2005 Hockey Hall of Fame inductee, the only person behind Wayne Gretzky for uh, the quickest to 50 goals. He got his in in 44 games. Suck on that, Ben Stewart. This is episode eight, Cam Neely's episode. Hi, how are you? I was doing fantastic until I had to sit through that streaming pile of garbage called Cam Neely's hockey resume. But you know, I'll deal. I just—it's just something that means a lot to me. That's all. Whatever helps you through the day, Cam Neely. Listen, I get on you a little bit just to poke some fun at you because I know it gets you riled up. Cam Neely is a bad mofo. Great player. I just don't think it's Hall of Fame worthy. And that's why I edit the show. On, <laughs> on to a former Bruins. We'll jump right into it. How about the uh, the big fella, Jumbo Joe? 400 goals, 1,500 games. What do you say? Yeah, I uh, scored his 400th, 100th last week out here in San Jose. Uh, interesting. Kind of want to get your view on his Hall of Fame either chances or if he's the first ballot guy. But currently in hockey history, he is one of seven players, 400 goals, 1,000 assists, 1,500 games played. The other six, Ray Bork, Ron Francis, Gordy Howe, Yarmir Yager, Mark Messier, and Steve Eisman. All those guys, obviously Hall of Fame, no question. Jumbo's going in, probably first ballot. But um, when you hear all those names, I think of longevity. Like Those guys were around for a long time and got it done. Um. As for Joe, I know a lot of people hang it over his head, the whole no-cup thing. But but at the same time, I mean, they did it for Ray Bullock, too, and finally he got one, and then that was it. Um, do I see Jumbo maybe sticking around, trying to do the same thing? Possibly. I just don't think he would leave San Jose. Like, talk about uh, when they were doing the stadium series thing, like the behind-the-scenes, and they show his house up in the hills there and the view and everything that he had. Like, dude's not going anywhere. Granted, has a great surrounding cast around him. You got the best one-two deep punch in the league. This is the year. If it's going to happen, this is the year. I know there's been the injuries, but uh, yeah, hopefully he can just be around this year, start feeding out some pucks, and maybe in June we see him lift the cup, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about his knee injuries, and when I went to the Sharks-Rangers game, you can tell he's just sapped of... A lot of mobility at this point. I mean, he is, what, 30, 39 years old. But the thing that I found interesting is those names on a list. Only one defenseman, uh, Bork, the fact that he had 400 goals and 
thousand assists as a defenseman. I know he played for like twenty one years or something, but in the history of the league, only defenseman. I think that's really incredible. No, like I remember just growing up being able to watch Ray all the time, like legitimately seeing him on the blue line and he would just get fed passes from the half wall for that power play and just fucking crank it. Like it was awesome. And his passing skills were phenomenal too. So I, I think that's one thing that gets overlooked in a sense. Cause like you said, I mean, 400 goals for a defenseman being in like that tier with everybody else is huge. But yeah, I, I think his passing was severely underrated. He he was really good at even power play passing from going from the top, finding someone down low for getting them a shot. Like, yeah, he was good. He's pretty good. The other thing is on that list, you have Ronnie Francis who the franchise, yeah, quietly went about his business for Hartford and Carolina and Pittsburgh. I think he's so underrated that if you think of if you ask even like a hardcore hockey fan, name the 10 best centers of the last 15, 20 years. How long do you think it takes for them to get to Ron Francis when all he's on this list? Ooh. That's tough, dude. And it's like you said, he just went about it quietly, did his thing. And like you said, from Hartford to Carolina and all that. But yeah, legitimately, there was never any anything with Ron Francis just did his thing you know it was like never in the media never hearing any stories or anything just quiet the silent assassin like Larry the Larry Murphy of forwards (laughs) um the other thing I wanted to two things actually I want to say about Jumbo he stole that 2006 MVP from Yarmir Yager that year Yager at Set the single season franchise record for the Rangers with most goals scored. Carried the Rangers on that back from a lottery team essentially the year before he arrived to the playoffs, surprise playoff appearance uh, in Lundqvist's rookie year. Got shafted by the voters because of Thornton's. I think he had a, a little bit higher point total because of his assists. He had almost like 90 or 100 assists that year. Uh, my That's my only gripe about Joe is that theft of an MVP that he has on his resume. The only gripe I have about Joe is him shaving that beard this year. Like that that's the issue I have. I, I know the whole trade thing wasn't him. That was Bruins management and all that. But I have a personal issue with that beard being gone. Like handsome. I mean, I might be biased. I mean, I might <laughs> have one, but I'm just saying. Oh shit. I would have shaved it too. Didn't he get in a fight? With Kaji last year, and oh, yeah, Kaji whipped out a like huge a chunk of his beard. Yeah. I forgot about better. that. <laughs> uh, the other thing with Thornton is, we were talking about if he would ever leave San Jose. I think this is his last year in San Jose. I think he'll retire. Hopefully, you know, my Rangers are not going to be making any cup run this year or anything else like that. Um, and I always seem to end up rooting for the guys towards the tail end of their career who haven't won yet. If even if they don't pull it off this year in San Jose and he wants to continue playing, I'm not quite sure they would fit him in because of their depth up front. Uh, he's not a speed guy anymore. And if he wanted to continue playing, I kind of wonder which teams might take a flyer on him. Would he go to Toronto, play with uh, Marlowe again, even though they have a bunch of centers? Uh, would he want to stay in the West Coast? I know he wouldn't probably play in like Anaheim or anything, but kind of curious about where he would end up if you wanted to play for like one more year 
that's actually an interesting point because like you said like san jose is a big team on controlled entries like coming over the blue line with the puck and making something happen and he he doesn't have the speed anymore i mean it's not like we're bashing him anybody that watches hockey knows this but i'm with you it's interesting to see where he might take a flyer to i don't think he's gonna get paid the six million that he got this year from the sharks yeah probably be like a veteran what would you give joe at this point beat up but he can step three mil four mil yeah i mean i would give him the old uh low base salary like two and a half three mil and then give him all those incentives to carry over into the following year's cap uh, if you can have more money to spread around or load up uh i just if he was going to play for a legitimate cup contender if i was thornton i would tell the team like listen keep that cap space in your pocket i'm going to sit out till december i'm going to stay in shape i'm going to train then I'll sign with you guys at the beginning of the new year, get into round into shape, and then be ready to go for the playoffs where I have as much of my legs underneath me as possible. Yeah, the old, uh, was it last year, Mike Fisher effect. Yeah, <laughs> coming out of retirement. Yeah, Tired of dealing with Kerry. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> I was actually talking to uh, the first lady today. Every one of her songs that I hear on the radio, and this might sound ignorant of me because I'm not a huge country guy if she's considered country still at this point. It's just crapping on dudes. I'm like, how bad is Mike treating you? <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike's the keeper, so it's probably all the others before Mike. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, going from that, we had a couple uh, trades in the league this week. The first one was former Ranger and... Uh, former Stanley Cup champion with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Carl Hagelin, going to L.A., uh, back in Cali after he was moved to Anaheim by the Rangers uh, for a young forward, Tanner Pearson, one-for-one one trade, which always gets hockey Twitter a uh, little hockey hard on. I know last week we were talking about Pittsburgh poss- possibly changing some things up because of the skid they were on. I thought it would be a bigger move because Hagelin you know, it's a third line guy at this point, maybe fourth line. Uh, but they moved him to LA. Uh, what are your thoughts on the trade itself? And do you think Pittsburgh is done making any uh, franchise altering moves? Uh, I'll go for the deal at first. I think Pittsburgh won. Uh, Haglin's definitely a little bit older now. Guy can still fly, but um, what they get back in Pearson, a really young kid, he's going to go over there and play with some top name players and. I think he's still cap friendly for a couple of years too. I think it's still yeah. a pretty decent deal. So I think they win on that end. Um, the, I, I'd say the only thing he loses out on going to Pittsburgh is the uh, weather out in LA. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, no, I'm with you. I don't think Pittsburgh's done. Uh, Jimmy Rutherford's never been a guy to uh, relax in a sense. Like he came out and said it before the trade happened that they were going to be doing some shuffling. Two days later, someone's out, and he said, we're not done yet. So I wouldn't be surprised if – I know Crosby's been hurt a lot. Obviously, you're not going to get another Crosby in there, but d- just someone more of a depth guy, so maybe you can shuffle guys up and down the lineup a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm I'm interested to see. I mean, J- Jimmy Rutherford, he's always been like that. So The thing is – so you were talking about, like, the financials. So a Hags is a free agent after this year. Uh, and he's getting paid $4 million. That's his cap hit. 
for Pearson, he's getting paid uh, $3.75 million a year through the 2021 season. So a little bit more cost certainty uh, for the Penguins coming their way. Pearson's 26, Hags is 30. The other thing for L.A., Hags has a lot of speed, which would help their older lineup. He's great on a penalty kill. He can chip in some offense here and there. But what need, what you know, flaws he, is Carl Hagelin fixing for the L.A. team that can't score? Hags isn't going to come in and revitalize the top six. He's not going to end up playing with Kopitar or anything else like that or shouldn't be playing with Kopitar. Pearson, on the other hand, is good. I know he's struggling this year. He's usually good for about like 15 goals, 40 points over a full year. So I think playing with a guy like Malkin is really going to get him going. I think, like I said, I think it's going to be huge for him. And Pittsburgh, year-wise in the sense of like the team average as opposed to L.A. a lot younger. So maybe it will just be a better fit for him mentally, too, like going in and being with the boys instead of with the grandpas. So I get it on that end. Yeah. Uh, the other move this week, another Ranger transaction. They traded former Bruin and power play specialist Ryan Spooner to Edmonton, reunited with former Bruins general manager Peter Chiarelli. In return, the Rangers get former fifth overall pick of the Islanders, Ryan Strom, right-handed shot and play center and wing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And do you see Spooner kind of taking off a little bit playing on that ice over there in Edmonton with the likes of Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, Dreisaitl, guys like that? Spooner is about to get paid dude <laughs> Chiarelli always does this with guys that he likes he'll lock them up long term for big money um he drafted Spooner always had a thing for him when Spooner was here in Boston I loved him like what you said definitely only really a power play specialist but um feeding pucks out there he looks really good he's definitely gonna have a lot of people around him now like you said dry um I'm assuming when I can't even say his last name, Puviarvi or whatever it is. Uh, Punjarvi. Yeah, whenever he comes back up from the AHL, I think the two of them are going to uh, mesh pretty well. I think Edmonton won this trade, and I hate to say it. Um, my question to you, being a Ranger guy on the other end, what do you think of Strom in the sense that now this is like his second team, well, third team now, just kind of being shuffled around a little bit. It's sometimes it's good for a uh, new face in a new place, but when it starts happening too many times, do you get a little nervous on the other end? Or Yeah, I mean, it's a change of scenery trade, which usually it's only a change of scenery when you're moved to a new team for the first time. So this is his second change of scenery trade, essentially. Um, thing for the Rangers, they're in a rebuild. Spooner obviously didn't fit with David Quinn's system. He's a perimeter player. Uh, Quinn wants guys that kind of drive possession, go to the front end and battle. Guys like Hayes, Kreider, even Zuccarello, the small guy, battles uh, in front. So the fact that they were able to move a guy who clearly didn't fit um, for a guy who kind of fills the need for Rangers, another right-handed shot right now before that trade. The only righties on the wings uh, were Jesper Faust and Vinny Letary. So they were definitely lacking in a sense of having somebody they can put on their right side, on their natural side, because he's not going to be playing center with the Rangers. We have Hayes, Abanajad, uh, Edel, Anderson, 
and Howden. So already we have too many centers. I like the move in a sense of you moved out a guy who didn't fit just to take a chance on another guy who has shown he can produce offensively when he was with the Islanders. I think his first year with the Oilers, he was pretty solid too. He's better defensively than Spooner, which fits our system. He's probably going to start off on a fourth line, but I think he would should get an opportunity. He might end up looking real nice playing on the right side of Kreider and Zibanejad, helping set up those one-timers for Zibby. I think another big thing here too is Spooner's unrestricted at the end of the year. You still mm-hmm. got Strom under contract for this year, next year, and then he's restricted. So, I mean, if he does end up taking off, at least you guys get, like, the first dibs at him. Yeah, even if he ends up as, like, a third top nine, like, third line right winger who is, like, turns into a solid two-way guy who can give you, like, 15 goals a year, I think that's pretty valuable on a two, essentially a two-year deal worth, like, $6.2 million total over those two years for a guy who is going to leave at the end of the year anyway. Um, and that didn't fit the system. So I think it might end up working for both teams. Spooner might help them provide a little bit more secondary scoring and we get a little bit better defensively with a righty shot who might reignite offensively. So we'll see what happens there. The uh, other thing about this, you mentioned Shirelli, he loves his boys. I just got to kind of go off on his record here in Edmonton. Uh, So... I know he won a cup in Boston. He has this pedigree about him coming from Ottawa. He goes to Edmonton, and before this trade, his three biggest ones. In 2015, he traded a first and a second pick for Griffin Reinhardt, who is not even in the organization anymore. He's not even making it in Vegas. The following year, he traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. And then this past summer, well, summer 2017, he traded... Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. So essentially what that Eberle trade turned into was he traded Jordan Eberle for Ryan Spooner and a third-round pick. And these trades led to the Luch signing, which wouldn't have happened if Taylor Hall was still around. Uh, He signed Chris Russell uh, with the money he saved from Eberle. Uh, They moved Brandon Davidson because they had Larson and in the mix, and then they ended up giving Zach Cassie in a three-year deal for just under $2 million a year. He has talent there. They're not taking off. I don't think he's steering them in the right direction. The league is moving towards fast offensive play, but he, I feel like he's trying to rebuild the Kings-Bruins championship teams for like the early part of this decade, which was a little bit more plotting and puck possession. The fact that he actually re-signed Zach Cassian is a fucking joke. Like, <laughs> uh, no, and I, and I mean it. Like, the, the kids had some troubles off ice, and I, I know he tried to get those fixed and all that. And, um, you know, tip of the cap to him for doing that. But, like, there's a huge jump from Canadian Junior to the NHL. His size in Canadian Junior was perfect for him to be running up and down the wing, barreling guys over, and getting all the points he did. He hasn't done dick in the NHL. Socks. Socks. But yeah. and and you lock them up, I got it here for this year and next year, then he's unrestricted for one point nine a year. One point nine five. Like that's a fucking joke. Um I'm with you on all the trades. I like Patrick there, the Camillary signing, I was on there. Tell Hall was ridiculous. Even 
when it happened, it's looking even worse now. No, no, no. I, I don't blame them for the Taylor Hall thing. They were definitely front-loaded a lot. They had a lot of the picks, and I understand that. And the need that they needed filled at that point, absolutely they needed a D guy. So I don't blame him for the Taylor Hall trade because, I mean, I think Taylor needed a change of scenery. I think he went number one overall. You go up to Edmonton where you can't even do anything without getting torched anywhere. You can't go grocery shopping. You can't. Everyone's a fan. Everyone's giving you shit. Now he goes to Jersey. He's he's in Hoboken. He's a normal dude. He's taking the train. He's going into the city. He's actually able to live a life of a younger guy and not be under this microscope. And I think for him, he needed it. So outside of that trade, which, like I said, I think needed to happen, all the other ones were fucking awful. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that point of view, but one for one for Adam Larson. I feel like he could have gotten more back either with picks or prospects or just trade him for a better top-pairing defenseman. Like, if the Devils wanted to trade Taylor Hall now, they could have a pick of whatever defenseman they wanted in the league, essentially. Oh, yeah, no, and I get that. And he's gone there and he's torn it up. And Adam Larson, yeah, he's a decent guy, and I'm with you, too. One for one was a little steep, but at the same time, if you're not getting any offers and that's the best you got, take it. Yeah. The other thing with the Oilers, so the Talbot trade has turned out to be pretty solid. Uh, the former backup, the Rangers. I they keep investing up front. The Maroon signing, Camilleri, Luch, uh, the trade for Spooner here, the Latestu signing. But if you look at the defensemen, Oscar Clefbaum, Matt Benning is their top pair. Larson and Darnell Nurse on, in their top four. Chris Russell is on their third pair. That is like a mess of a defense pair for a team who has the best player essentially in the world at the time in the David. They have two other top five draft picks up front. I just can't see, because Edmonton's kind of middling so far this year. If they don't make the playoffs or look make a little bit of a run, does Chiarelli survive this offseason? No, probably not. And the other thing that is this, too. Whoever comes in and gets that gig after he does, you are tied with some seriously shitty contracts. Yep. I mean, you got, obviously, McDavid, you had to lock him up for whatever it was. But I believe it's next year. It's 12 a year, starting next year, 12 a year. Yep. So it's going to be hard to get a whole bunch of forwards or try getting a top D guy for, you know, the money that you've already got invested. And then there's Lucic and there's Cassian and it's just a nightmare. And I love Lucic, but um, yet again, one of those Chiarelli guys that once he went to the open market, he gave him huge money because he liked them from Boston and ugh, ugly yeah. over there. Kind of sticking with like the, on a trade front, this is going to be a constant theme until it's resolved. But uh, apparently Toronto has started speaking in more serious tones with other teams about a possible William Nylander trade. Apparently Carolina is a front runner because they're deep on defense. But there was an interesting article that came out uh, yesterday by our boy Larry Brooks, Brooksy, who was talking about, uh, who was talking about if, the Rangers were interested in a Nylander. Would they give up Chris Kreider and Brady Shea in a Nylander trade? And I was wondering, as an outsider, 
what your thoughts were if the Rangers had to give up that package. Negative. Don't do it. Um, I think one of the biggest things here, too, is Nylander, like we've talked about, is kind of a uh, he's a wild card in a sense. There's definitely still some speculation about him as to how good he can be or how good he is and so on and so forth. I love Chris Kreider. I love Brady Shea. I think they're both phenomenal players, and I personally wouldn't trade them for him. Uh, if, Like I said, if he was more of – if he was Austin Matthews, if he was Mitch Marner, I, I think you have that conversation. But I, I think Nylander is too much of a wild card. And for him to be going with the guys that he's playing with, and then if he does get dealt going to somewhere else – if he doesn't have that top-tier talent around him, is he going to be as good then as he was with Toronto? I don't know. Yeah, I'm actually... What do you think his skill level is in terms of... Is he a first-line forward? Is he more of a... Like a B-plus type guy who, with the right line mates, plays above his head? Because if he gets dealt to the Rangers, he'd end up playing with Zibanejad probably, if Kreider's still there, probably with him too. Is he still a 30-goal, 50-assist guy with the Rangers or any other team in that type of situation? I personally don't think that high. I think he can definitely produce points. I think the kid can play. But I don't think he's going to be put up the points that he was before. Um, I'd Let me ask you this. 20 goals... 40 assists, 60 a year. Uh, David Pasternak's better. And he, well, they offered him Pasternak money, and he said, no, he wanted more, and I don't think he's worth more than that. Yeah, I think even the Maple Leafs think Nylander has a little bit of untapped potential. But in the same vein, if he was a free agent this summer, just like Panarin is, which one would you go after first, or which one would you pay more, since they're both right-handed, right-wingers who are young and extremely talented? Which one? You have to go Panarin. He played this year. Like, if December 1st happens and he hasn't played and he plays over in the K, even if he rips it up in the KHL, there's been plenty of guys that go over there, come back, and they don't do dick. Like, you get the bigger ice surface, so it's easier for maneuvering and getting the space that you need. But, yeah, just going off of it, I think Panarin is worth more than him just because of the amount he's played in the points that he puts up. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see if the Nylander situation is resolved by December 1st, that deadline for him to play this year, whether it's a bridge deal with Toronto, a long-term deal with them, or he gets moved to uh, a team like Carolina or the Rangers or something, just to see if he's out of Toronto. It's sinkers from time. You're either that franchise guy that you think you are, or you were better off just playing with guys like uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. I'm calling it right now. He'll be traded on American Thanksgiving this Thursday. This Thursday. All right, put it in the books. This Thursday. I, was, I made a prediction last week that almost came sure the Penguins made a trade of a forward, but they did not trade full Kessel. But I like the I like this bold strategy there. I just you think want, it. You want to pick a team? I think Carolina. Carolina has that stud, Adam Fox, who's coming up playing at Harvard. I think it'll be Fox, a pick, 
and Toronto's going to have to send them something else too, like a glue guy, just to be in there. Yeah, we're talking about Pesci, who's already oh. in the league, going to Toronto. I mean, he played at UNH too. The kid's a really good player. Uh, I'd I, say kind of like Tory Krug. So, fuck Tory Krug. Um, if I'm the Rangers, Toronto's looking for a right-handed t- top four defenseman. They probably want somebody who's a little bit more cost-effective to put in their top six to replace what they were expecting to get from Nylander. Throwing some picks. Found Rangers, I call Toronto. I'm like, my best offer is, once he's healthy, I give you Buchnevich. I give you Shattenkirk, and I eat half his salary, and I give you a, a first-round pick in 19 or 20, and you just send me Nylander and see what happens. How pissed would you be if they actually do that right? You eating half of Shattenkirk's money and then he's phenomenal up there. <laughs> he, he, we have to deal with him for like the next three years, knocking us out of the playoffs in uh, matchups. I will take that risk just to get. I know he's a Ranger fan and kind of like a local boy, but he was signed because we thought we were going to be making a little bit of a run. That window was still open and it's not. And I'd rather. I'll deal with him being successful in Toronto if we get a guy like Nylander back. Fair enough. Fair trade on that end. Well, speaking of, well, I mean, we were just talking about trade, so it has nothing to do with injuries, but it, it's like you guys are playing with an injured Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, <laughs> injuries around the league this week. Crosby, Vasilevsky, what do you think? Yeah, the Crosby one is interesting to me because uh, Pittsburgh's been struggling, even with him in a lineup. Uh, they've been pretty healthy. They've had Malkin, they've had him, they've had Kessel going. Uh, Matt Murray hasn't been playing that well, but they made the Hagelin trade, bringing Pearson. Now Crosby is out. It just isn't definitely, I'm not sure, the severity of the injury itself. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if that changes Rutherford's view on potential moves, if he's going to deal somebody from his team to send a message, or if he's going to be looking to make a move to four or five. Their top six if Crosby's absence is pretty long. The correct answer, Benjamin, is it doesn't fucking matter about any of them because my Bruins are dying right now. Our injuries are... Oh, my God. Our injuries are fucking insane. Our, our current D is Tory Krug, Matt Grizzlick, and then all of Providence. I, I think we took <laughs> I think we took the whole team up. Um these are some big-time injuries, man. Chara out four to six weeks. I know he hasn't really done anything to stick out, but he hasn't really done anything to look too bad either. Um, it's a little scary, too, because you're relying on Tory Krug to be your number one D-man, and he's coming back from an injury, too. So as for stability-wise, as to whether he twists the wrong way and gets that ankle messed up again, it's... It's scary, man. Um, and now Bergeron, they haven't said what it is, but they flew him home from the road trip so we could see the team doctors in Boston. Doesn't seem good. McAvoy finally started skating, which is a, a plus, but they still haven't said anything as to what was wrong with him. Um, Apparently the, it was a concussion. Yeah, but they, they wouldn't admit it. The only thing they said was a couple of weeks ago when they sent him home off that last road trip was... Charlie hasn't felt like himself for a couple of days. So like I think yeah. like you know maybe maybe it's like the flu or something like you, you get nothing but it's scary though too because he had that heart thing last year. 
Oh, yeah. So you're like, is it that? And then they come, oh, no, it's not his heart. So it's like, you know nothing. The the NHL injury report's a joke. Upper body or lower body. Like, I, I understand. Yeah, he's a guy fine. Yeah, like, and I get it, dude, and it's a, it's a plot and it's a ploy. But the only other thing is this. They just signed that huge deal with, who was it, MGM? Oh, the sports gambling. Yeah. So once is that's like officially through and you can start gambling everywhere, you're going to have to have that injury report a lot better. Because now when there's millions of dollars being transferred over games, people are going to want the most information they can get. So I think at some point it's going to have to be a lot more open as to what it is. Even if it's not specific from the actual injury, you're going to have to give a more concrete timeline because anybody can do this. If you just go to like TSN and you pull up the team-by-team injury report, there's a section called expected return. It either is day-to-day or indefinitely. So it's either you can come back tomorrow or you're out forever. Yeah, and it's funny too because like even under the Bruins on there, they already said Charo was four to six weeks. But they have them listed on here as day to day for the status. So, yeah, I mean, like you were talking about the Bruins injury report. John Moore out, Chara out, Carlo out, McAvoy out, Miller out. Even Vaca and Nainen is out. Essentially, top six outside of Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> See ya. The other injury I want to talk about, obviously not on the same level as Crosby. Oh, Vasilevsky being out four to six weeks is kind of. He'll be back, obviously, before the playoffs start, but I wonder how that might cost him in terms of playoff seeding at the end of the year, having that four- to six-week window where Toronto or even a team like Boston might be able to separate a little bit um, and cost Tampa a home ice advantage in the divisional playoffs. But the other injury, not as high up on the totem pole around the league, Jason Demers, uh, defenseman out in Arizona. Arizona just started turning around and playing better. He's out for the year, apparently towards ACL. Uh, big loss for them on a top pair righty shot. They're already out. Uh, Goldowski and Shrinen. So curious if a team like Arizona, who's apparently getting sold again, uh, is able to make a move for a replacement to take advantage of all the young talent kind of coming together uh, this season finally. I'm assuming at some point they have to make a move. I'm with you on that. Um, I just don't know in the sense because th- they've been on a run lately too, and the Demers thing is definitely going to hurt them. But at the same time, it's one of those things of uh, they don't look half bad there either. They they still have Chalmerson, they still have Ekman Larson, they they still have Kanat, and I think those three are kind of your I don't know what you call them your glue, like your glue guys. Those are the guys that you need there. Um. But, yeah, they're definitely going to have to get somebody in there because their other D after that fall off rather quickly. They have Mermis, Osterill, and Russo. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Negative. Not going to work. The other, It's not necessarily an injury here, but Buffalo has been playing really well this year since we were talking about Arizona's young, young guys finally coming together as a team. I want to give a shout out to our former, you know, a little crazy off kilter screw loose goalie from Worcester, Hutz Carter Hutton, 
proven himself to be at least a capable, you know, Division One type starting goaltender in the NHL. He's popular on YouTube for some of his insane acrobatic saves from his time in Chicago and uh, Carolina. But Hutton, you know, kind of making making a claim for himself there. As he used to be the backup for Alex Stalock, who hasn't really transitioned into the NHL as well. Hutton. The best thing about Hutz was that year in Worcester, you want to talk about like sometimes you just luck out, like just like the luck of the Irish. This was it. He went there being the backup to Staylock, like you said. Staylock ends up getting that skate to the back of the leg, messed his whole leg up, season was over. So now Hutz is the goalie. I forget who the goalie was in San Jose, but both of them got hurt. So he ends up going to San Jose and he's playing in games. So he ends up went going from the AHL to the Never Hungry League, cashing big boy checks, like just legitimately just lucked out completely. And, and it's taken off for him. But at the same time, too, Hutz was awesome. Like he was fucking, fucking hysterical. Like <laughs> I would laugh my balls off with him. He was just a riot. Um, that might be a guy we need to try to get on here. And we have, and we have to count how many A's he drops. Hey, you know, A is like a good game, man. <laughs> we'll have the A meter. But um, one thing too about that year, which was funny, was so after he ends up getting all those NHL things, he w- he's from Thunder Bay, and in the summers he would go back there and he would do goalie camps. So the years before, he said they weren't really anything. He said after that year, every one of the slots was sold out completely. Just Good. because he got in the NHL and all that, like every slot completely sold out. So good for him. All the best. Uh, good guy, man. You wish the best for the good ones. And you want to see a transition here. I know Shea Weber on the Canadians is still out from that knee injury. Uh looks like his timeline to come back is coming up. They said earliest would be December, most likely early January. But the next thing I kind of wanted to – get your thoughts on I saw the news early last week of this the Canadians reporter noticing that a couple of the Canadian players rub pickle juice on their on their legs before each game because it feels good and they think it like provides them some advantage and they said that Weber brought it from Nashville to Montreal the pickle juice routine and it ha- it can't have any impact on anything they're doing on the ice, but it's like that mental placebo of superstition, like weird pregame routines. One, would you ever rub pickle juice on yourself? And two, did you have any pregame or postgame routines that might not make sense to the average person, but you just thought it was giving you an edge? First off and foremost, A, if you drink pickle juice, you're a fucking weirdo. <laughs> but- Pickleback shot. Oh, dude, never. Never, never have I ever, never will I ever. Fuck that. And then, two, if you're actually rubbing pickle juice, you're rubbing it on your, like, what is this, a lube now? Like, you're going to go strap on with the old lady? Like, hold on, let me just get some pickle juice, a little Astroglide? Like, what the fuck is this world coming Apparently to? Apparently, it's like putting on Icy Hot, like that cool misting feeling, but I'm like, then just put Icy Hot on. <laughs> i don't know um when i was playing i don't think i ever had any 
superstitions along that end like you know usually it's you know you put on your right skate and you're like your right equipment before the other one but nothing really too crazy where i was lubing up with pickle juice yeah for me like i had the obvious superstitions of if i was on a point streak or something i would bring my stick that stick home with me for safekeeping i would basically sleep in the bed with it (laughs) kind of get some of that good good juju on me um if i was having a bad game or a bad couple of games i would change out all my sticks give the other sticks away go get new ones if i could at the time but my main one was from my gear to like my uh the pants the socks the uniform gloves everything right side first i don't know how it started or when it started but everything on the right side had to be put on first before anything on the left side and if I, for some reason, had a mental blank and I put on the left side first, I would have to, even if it was the last piece of clothing, everything came off and I had to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah, dude, so, some of those will really mess you up. Uh, were, you a, <laughs> were you a shower in between periods guy? I was a lay in the bathtub and like take all my gear off, basically strip down to my boxes and lay in a tub between periods to get like super fucking cold. And then dry off, put the gear back on, all the right side, go back out there again. And by the time the period was like halfway over, the heat of my body just started catching up. And there was just like a rush, like a little energy boost to get you through the rest of the period, which is fucking psycho. But Dude, I would never, like in between periods, like the most it would be would be like down of the pants. And maybe if you have to like readjust (laughs) the shin guard, but like. Yeah, no. I couldn't imagine taking off all my shit and putting it back on. Just couldn't do it. Like, not for me. Yeah, that was the other, the worst part for me was the sweat. Like, the gear, like, putting it, like, my body is fresh now, getting out of the tub, and now I have to put on a dirty, smelly, sweaty gear back on again and having to deal with that. But I think that started when I was in junior high. Uh, I had like a nine game goal streak. And after the first two games, it was because I was dealing with like a separated shoulder. So I would just ice myself. And then I started having this point streak. I'm like, fuck it. I'm doing it every day now. Sometimes it's all it takes is just one good day. And whatever it was is what we're doing. That's it. I mean, obviously it didn't work because I'm doing a hockey podcast from San Francisco and not skating in a league. But hey, hey, guy, you know, they have to pay for appearances. That's all it is. <laughs> Well, after going through our superstitions, do you want to go through our game and lock picks of the week? Because we can just listen to you again, because yet again, your Rangers shoves it right up my ass. I mean, they actually put five on the board, which I was happy about, but a 7-5 loss Thursday. Yep. Who, who do you got for game of the week? Who do you got for lock of the week? So... My issue for me was, so that was my game of the week pick, which actually turned out to be a, a good game. Fantastic, fantastic game. 12 goals scored, a couple lead changes. Uh, so did not disappoint outside of which New York team won. Uh, my game of the week, my lock of the week was Edmonton over Calgary from last night, Saturday, and Calgary won. So I am 0-3 at this point. Oh, good. So we're still even. Today. We're still even. Good. We're still so even. so we're I both with the results of our wager. Both um, mushes. Yeah. I'm zero three. 
So I'll start off with Game of the Week since I've been fairly more successful in telling everybody what game should be entertaining than telling them what game is going to be an absolute win. Uh, but my Game of the Week pick is going to be Winnipeg versus Minnesota, Friday, November 23rd in Minnesota. Uh, two contenders in the very competitive Central Division out there in the Western Conference. Minnesota kind of having a surprise uh, start to the year. Uh, being so successful at this point. So we'll see what happens there. I think Winnipeg is better talented overall, but you can never discount a hot goalie like Devin Dubnik that the Wilds have. So that's my game of the week. My lock of the week. I'm going to go a little bit off the board here to try and switch up my bad 0-3 start. But I'm going to go the Philadelphia Flyers on the road on Saturday, November 24th, to upset the Toronto Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada. That's very ballsy. I'm just going for a win this week. Um, (laughs) I'm going with, so for my lock, since we're already talking about it, I'm going with, and it's desperate. I'm not going to lie. I probably shouldn't do it, but 0-3, I got to change shit around here. Lock of the week, Wednesday night, Colorado at the Kings. Hoping mm. it's in the bag. Hoping. Hoping. <laughs> um, well, even Ottawa beat Pittsburgh uh, yesterday, I think, 6-4. I, I quit. Like, <laughs> there, there's no point for people to listen to this shit anymore. <laughs> uh, game of the week, I have tomorrow night, Monday, Columbus at Toronto. Um, Columbus ahead of the Metropolitan Division. Toronto second in the Atlantic but has more points, even though they're second in the same amount of games. So I think that's going to be a big game for people behind Columbus and a big game for Toronto because our division's so tight right now that if they lose a game, it's, it's flip-flopping and they're American Thanksgiving. It's this week, pal. So the playoff picture should be completely squared away after this week. All right. And going back to our today in NHL history uh, moments going way back in the time capsule to start off. 1930, uh, Lauren Chabot becomes the first goalie in NHL history to start a season with three consecutive shutouts when the Maple Leafs defeat the Montreal Maroons 3-0. The three straight shutouts match his total in the other 34 games he plays that season. Uh, and the other one I wanted to mention today, kind of throw back to some notable names. 1991, Mark Recchi. Former Bruin and a 2017 Hall of Fame inductee has a six-point game, including his first NHL hat trick. They beat the Penguins, defeated the Quebec Nordiques in Quebec. Kevin Stevens also scores three goals for the Penguins that night. The wrecking ball. Loved him, dude. Just seeing this little fire hydrant-looking guy just up and down the wing, battling for every inch of ice, even at fucking 40. He was great. I loved watching Recky. And I just want to comment on Kevin Stevens, who essentially stole money from the New York Rangers, which a lot of free agents did in the mid to late 90s. Showed up, basically was only there so he can be closer to Atlantic City and Mohegan Sun. <laughs> did absolute jack shit. Uh, I, I mean, he was never, I don't, he, he was an asshole. Like, no, I don't think anybody liked him in that locker room. Uh, just another one of our fabulous moves during the quote-unquote dark era of the New York Rangers. 
we got the wrong penguins until Yogs came in. <laughs> um, real quick, I know it wasn't on our docket, but I, but I had yeah. to jot something down. Did you see Friday night Marchand versus Ben Bishop? I the only thing I saw was how Marchand chirped at the fan in Dallas, and the fan was like giving him shit, and Marchand was caught saying, "How much are you fucking paying to watch me?" Dude, Marshy is the man. Um, <laughs> personally, I'm not happy with the idiotic slash call that he did. Like, legitimately, he, I, I think Emma could hit somebody with a hockey stick harder. Like, he's not going to get the call though. Well, no, like, pucks behind the net, Martian's in front of the crease, Bishop comes to the top of the crease to kind of, I mean, Bishop's 6'4, Marshy's fucking 5'8, so he can't see over him. Marshy gives him a whack on like the ankle. Minor dude. Like yeah. Bishop sells it down to the ice. Marshian goes to the box for a slash. Bishop does not get an embellishment call. Marshy's in the box, takes the white towel, puts it over oh, yeah. his stick, and he's <laughs> waving it. And then he gets a ten minute misconduct. So um That's an automatic. You're gonna get a misconduct for doing that to the roughs. Yeah, and, and the only thing with me is in the current state of the Bruins with all these D dropping like flies and everything else. Like he's an effective player now. Like you can't be doing that shit anymore. Yeah. And, and now it's starting to hurt the team. Cause this is the second time he's done that. Cause the uh, last week in Nashville, we talked about it when he did the dive and he got another 10 minutes. Like there is crucial times that he's not spending on the ice and he's in the box. And I'm going to call it right now. Cause we're going to talk about this in April. Okay. He's, he's going to do something stupid in April when they're in the playoff race or the hunt, something's going to get fucked up. He's going to cost them a game, and it's going to bite him in the ass on the other end. That's the thing with Marchand. It's, it seems like it's hard to reprogram that sense of me against the world, and I need to get under the opponent's skin for someone who kind of came up through juniors and uh, the draft as like you said, being undersized, nobody thought he'd be able to make it in the league. Nobody thought he'd be as good of a goal scorer all-around player as he is at this point. And he just hasn't lost that chip on his shoulder and all the side antics. And, you know, I don't like Marshan because of the diving. And, you know, he is a dirty player. Not necessarily like a Brian Marchman type dirty, but he is dirty. If you just focus even more on my job is a top-line forward for the Boston Bruins, and the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, he could pop 40-plus a year. Like, he's that talented at this point, especially playing with Pasternak and Bergeron. But instead, he kind of gets lost in his side antics because of just the chip on his shoulder or that personality aspect. And like you said, it hurts the team. And once the playoffs come around, I think if you're playing the Maple Leafs or you're playing Tampa, they will gladly take... Marshan off the ice for five minutes plus by sending somebody like Callahan after him. Oh, dude, and, and the fact is that, like you said, now he, he's doing the extra shit to himself. Like, if you get the two minutes, you get the two minutes. But now when you're trying to show up the refs and everything else, like, I get it. The first one, they called you for a high stick. You didn't high stick him. This one, they called you for a slash. Did you slash him very hard? No, but if you're whacking a goalie regardless, you're probably going to get called. And they're not going to give you any sympathy calls. You're Brad Marchand. It's not happening. Like, figure it out. Yeah, I'm surprised that the stars on the ice and just absolutely pummel the shit out of him for even having 
the ball is a slasher goal. Like you said, it wasn't a hard slash, but if somebody even touched Lundqvist like that, it'd be a line brawl. Like you just can't do that to the other team's goalie. The other thing is, like you said, he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt anymore, especially the way he plays, but especially if you're going to keep showing up the ref. Like that's going to cost your team. If anything, there should have been a line brawl for Bishop diving the way he did. Like, the legitimate like soccer player like oh my god i was like wow this is impressive i feel like bishop tried to model himself as a another mike smith another tall goalie who kind of likes getting into the fray but mike smith can actually hand you your ass bishop is more of a barking no bite type guy there's a reason why they took vasileski over him just saying <laughs> well that and he gets hurt in like the first round of the playoffs every year. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch on, and I will be sharing these links on our Facebook page, but this month I uh, is in a spotlight for hockey fights cancer. We touched on it on our Facebook page. Brian Boyle, who plays on the Devils now, but former Ranger, he's a Boston boy, came back from his own uh, scare of cancer and scored his first career hat trick this month. Uh, during Hockey Fights Cancer Month. Great cause. Uh, the NHL does a great job with it. There's a lot of different organizations, uh, different ways for them to fundraise and donate. So we'll post this link. If anybody wants to donate, if they have been impacted themselves or know somebody has been impacted by cancer, I think it's a great way to contribute as a hockey fan. And the other thing is, out here in California, we are especially Northern California where I am, we're dealing with the largest wildfire in California history. Uh, a lot of fatalities, a lot of people still missing the fires, about 140,000 acres at this point. If you would like to contribute to the wildfire relief fund, we'll be posting that link as well. Uh, there are a lot of organizations that help in different ways, but especially right before the holidays, it's kind of rough. So I'll be sharing those two links if, you, if anybody wants to contribute to either or both of those. Uh, that'd be fantastic and just want to kind of give them a nod. That was very well said, Ben. Well, thank you. It's, I feel like shit actually complaining about this because on a grand scheme of things, I still had a house to go home to and everything. But San Francisco has been dealing with the smoke from the fire, which is about 200 miles to the northeast of us. And our air quality was the worst in the world, or is the worst in the world for like the last four or five days, and it's not going to clear up anytime soon. That's how bad the fires are. So I can only imagine what it's like for the firefighters up there. Yeah, it was, it was crazy, too. They showed a video of uh, when they have one of those helicopters come by to dump the water on it. It oh, legitimately yeah. did nothing. I was like, holy yep. shit. There's over a 1,000 people unaccounted for, obviously probably because they evacuated or whatever, but... Over 70 confirmed dead, 1,000 missing. It's, not, it's only half contained, so it's going to be a little bit, it's going to be around more for a battle. Uh, so if people would like to contribute, uh, please feel free. It'd be much appreciated, especially as a transplant Californian. One question for you, because we had a little bit of snow this week. I'm a little discombobulated. It's been a couple of long days. <laughs> um, is it burning towards San Francisco? Is it burning like away from it, like further north. So it's northeast of the city. Um, it's not necessarily burning towards San Francisco. It's just the reason why the smoke is 
enveloping us is this southern wind is blowing it down and San Francisco is between the the bay and the the hills the fire the smoke kind of just settles in over the city uh we're, we're going to be getting rain hopefully the middle of this week and if the winds change it should help out but yeah it's just not been a good time uh in northern california a lot of people impacted yeah i've been seeing some videos too that people have been posting like legitimately horror film type shit like driving their way out like, of there like just yeah like crazy yeah so didn't mean to bring it to a summer note just wanted to throw that out there uh in case anybody wanted to donate um things like that well i i guess we're heading towards the end of it you got any uh shout outs on the back end i uh, yeah i'll give a shout out first lady as always i was telling kevin before we hopped on to start this episode uh me and her went out last night so we're at uh, house show crystal method if anybody is into it uh you know your boy here is 31 but had a throwback night last night staying out till about 3 30 in the morning uh sleeping in a little bit today a little little wounded i would say but nothing compared to having to be out late work and then have two kids to deal with so i feel bad kind of telling Kevin about how bad it is to go out to 3.30 in the morning having a good time and sleeping in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about it real quick, because, you know, <laughs> all our listeners are still listening. Wink, wink. Um, I went to work Thursday morning at 7, and then I left work Friday afternoon at 3. So I was a little tired. Marathoned it, though. Went to the uh, Festival of Trees with uh, a pretty hot redhead. Not a big deal. Um, and was... <sighs> little struggling uh once i probably got home about midnight ish and then crashed dude i was out and then i went out again last night for her cousin ashley's surprise birthday party 25 now big shout out to her um yeah i'm a little wiped probably right after this i'm going to bed once this uploads <laughs> um big shout out to my brother-in-law the grand sisma puta christopher kendig um Chris has been like a road warrior for us. Like he's going around everywhere. He's plugging this fucking thing. We went out to the bar and he's like, "Hey, you guys listen to podcasts?" He's like, "My brother-in-law has." I'm like, "I don't know. It's weird because I like never speak about it. Like it's just one of those like silent things. I don't really plug it. I probably should, but um, you know, big shout out to him for going around yeah. and uh, you know, recruiting us. He he got us. It was three other listeners the other night. So just word of mouth, which which we appreciate. Uh, you should get some shirts made. I gotta, I gotta get some shirts. I'll have to do some like stickers, maybe a hat or two. Get some stitching going. Get some giveaways. Yeah, a little giveaways for our three fans. I know where you guys live. <laughs> I, I could drop them off or mail them if you want to be official. That's fine. Listen, uh, Kevin's just being humble. We reach billions of people every day. Our episodes are viewed by people ranging from the president of the United States to the Queen of England to Gary Bettman. So it's a pretty big deal. It is a pretty big deal. Um, another shout out I have is the big sexy Kyle Eisner got engaged today. So a big shout out oh, to him wow. and uh, him and Emma. And, congratulations! Uh, yeah, congrats! I I can't wait to uh, have some fun at that bachelor party and that wedding. So something to look forward to. Uh, Benny, were you a big dip guy? Did you dip a lot, or was that something you didn't do? I tried dipping when I was in high school and I just couldn't get into it. 
I think what really sealed the deal for me was freshman year of college. I think we met like the first week of school, freshman year, and I came to class on a Monday because I knew you dipped. I was like, dude, I can't do it. I can never try it again because we're at a party. And I thought it was uh, a solo cup with like Coke and rum. And it was, <laughs> it was a dip cup. And I didn't drink a lot of it. I had like a sip and I realized what it was. But I think that pretty much sealed the deal for me. Uh, well, I'm only asking because um, I'm going to torture him now. He, he said allegedly he was he was going to start listening to this podcast. He was listening to our competitor, if you believe it or not, like the, the Spit and Chicklets boys. Like, Who is this? Uh, oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Oh, okay, okay. So um, he was telling me, like, oh, yeah, dude, I fucking listen to that fucking Spit and Chicklets. And I'm like, yeah, so does everybody else in the world. Like, I, I'm a, a fan. Of, I, I listen. What happened? Is this a former goaltender? No, no, not a goaltender. <laughs> um. But yeah, like, dude, like, we all listen to Spit and Chicklets. They're, they're the best that do it. We're, like, East Coast Hockey League, maybe All-Stars, and those guys are NHL first ballot Hall of Famers. But we do this for fun. We have a good time with it. So, like, other people have been, like, reaching out to me because, you know, they've been doing it and they're interested. They might want to get on a show or two, and, th- and that's fine. And yeah. we're probably going to accommodate everybody. But back to the whole dipping part of this story because I got a little sidetracked. So we're out to dinner, and... But we were all, you know, the boys go out, they chatter, they talk about the old ladies and stuff. So our buddy Santini, we were like, dude, like, that woman is a fucking saint dealing with you every day. Like, you want to talk about a kid that could, like, snap of the fingers, go off the rails? Like, that's him. So we're like, what about her? Like, how is it? Like, you know, does she jump on you, blah, blah, blah? Nobody told me. He goes, no, she's awesome. I go and I can do whatever. But sometimes when I get home, I get the dip sniff. I was like, what <laughs> the fuck? He's like, you know, j- just a little sniff to see if I was dipping. Dude, I never <laughs> laughed so hard in a fucking long time. Like, I was pissing my pants. It was a riot. It's like uh, having to throw on some air freshener before you walk in the door because you smoked a cigarette on the way home from work or something. <laughs> the old dip sniff. I will give a sh- no. That reminded me. I'm I'm gonna give a shout out. You know him very very well. Old college roommate known as Becker. His full name is John Becker. Just reminded me of funny time, funny stories, funny times when we were juniors in college, and his girlfriend at the time, Jill, did not like that he smoked at all. So he would always have to hide his pack of cigarettes in really high places because she was too short to look. So he would always put it on like the top of our kitchen cabinets in our common area kitchen or like hide it in the stairwell and he would just like walk out, grab it, smoke, put it back. And the whole, you know, dip te- uh, whiff test re- just reminded me of Becker's ingenious ways he got around the uh, no smoking rule. Just constant gum. Well, uh, <laughs> we good on this end? You got anything else there? Uh, I guess just happy Thanksgiving for everybody. Hopefully you have at least one thing to be thankful for outside of this podcast and have a good time with family. Enjoy the food. Hopefully it's good football. Don't forget Thanksgiving is not just for football. The NHL has some very nice Thanksgiving day marquee matchups. What Ben said, be thankful, enjoy the family around you, have fun and uh, drink one for us. Two, five and 10. We'll catch you next week.